can't judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Yeah, the giraffe is is like barely making it. I don't know how. I wonder where the eyes were. The giraffe is me. Like (laughs) just struggling to get through the week. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god yeah that that's the for anybody welcome back oh hi yeah well we were just talking about the macy's parade and like all the sad balloons in the parade <laughs> but it wasn't even i feel like when it's too cold something about the helium doesn't expand but it wasn't too cold so like, no. why weren't they fully inflated like what happened I, I definitely some of the things popped like they got caught. I know like Luffy's Luffy's hat got caught and popped. And I'm assuming that's what happened to Snoopy as well, because his hat was yeah. very sad. looking. he started off. I was like, what is he wearing? And then like it's uh, what was, was he? Like an, He's a park Beagle ranger. Yeah. yeah. Beagle Eagle Scout. Did you say Beagle? Yeah, he was a Beagle Scout. Is I'm that pretty like sure that was actually Eagle? what. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that was the joke. Why? Didn't we already have one? Like, why do we need a new one? A new balloon? I think they just switch them up. Like, they were talking about something about how many different Snoopy balloons there have been over the years. I feel like that seems costly. But my favorite was the inflatable. Like, it wasn't a balloon, but it was like, you know, a person in an inflatable costume kind of walking around. And it was the giraffe. (laughs) I did just watch that and it is hysterical. But it took me so long to find. I don't know what I ended up putting in to find it. Like, I Googled, like, sad giraffe um, Macy's Day Parade. And, like, I found someone's TikTok. And the giraffe is, like, his head is just completely bent over. It's very funny. And I was like... Yes, Mr. Giraffe, that is a mood. I like he's broken, but he's, he's still broken. going forward. Oh, <laughs> uh, like America. <laughs> uh, but the end of the parade was really cool. Oh, with um Shirley Ralph. Yes. Yeah, as Mrs. Claus. Did you look it up? Did you look up? I didn't. Was... I meant to do that. Like So um, Rebecca texts me during the parade and she's like, Is this like the first like interracial like Santa? Mr. and Mrs. Claus and I'm like I have no clue I don't even remember them using celebrities I thought it was always just a Santa impersonator and a Mrs. Claus impersonator like I've never remembered them using a celebrity but okay it definitely says she was the the parade's first black Mrs. Santa oh so more than likely this is the first interracial one yeah yeah and I was like I wonder if uh what is that mom's group a million moms or something that always they're always mad and doing like they were protesting the parade because there was a transgender person singing and i'm like this is new york it was broadway shut up like don't come here (laughs) and be like oh there's too many gays in your stuff our broadway runs on gays like stop yeah yeah no one's not going to go to the parade because there's going to be a transgender person singing that's a highlight what are you talking about (laughs) exactly what is the name of the group it's like a million moms or something you know what I'm talking I don't, about? I don't know. Moms for Liberty? Yes, Moms for Liberty. Those people. Okay. They were like collecting signatures to like not have the Macy's Day Parade air, which is like, ladies. Listen, do you know how many hoops I had to go through to get that damn parade? Not that many, but enough. We oh, have, really? We, so we don't have cable. We have oh, an yeah. antenna. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the antenna will not get NBC. Like, oh, And I swear they like scramble it 
intentionally on like the day of the parade and the the New Year's, like, the rocking New you. Year's. <laughs> um, so I was looking it up on, online. I was like, how can you watch this? Like, is it on any streaming services? And it was like, oh, you could get Hulu plus live TV. And they're mm-hmm. like, and they do these seven day trials or whatever. But we already have Hulu. Okay. And I wasn't going to open a second account and like mess up the account we have on the TV yeah. with all that. So we we looked around some more and Peacock was running a Black Friday special. Mm-hmm. It was like a dollar ninety nine a month for twelve months. And so we signed up, paid a dollar ninety nine, and then watched the parade, watched the dog show, and canceled it. <laughs> And I we still have it had, for the rest of the month. So Yeah, we should would have had a conversation because I have Peacock. I got Peacock because I don't have cable and I needed to watch Law and Order. And Law and Order was on Hulu and then they decided that it wasn't gonna be on Hulu anymore. And I was like, I need to watch Olivia Benson solve crimes. So I got Peacock solely for Law and Order, but then it came with all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, this is not bad. I don't mind having Peacock. And then I was like, oh, wait, I can watch the parade on it without a problem. And I was like, yeah. sold. Because last time it was like such an issue. Like I ended up watching like some on some um some like webcam live stream, and which was, was so not, boring. It is not fun. Because there's I, no like commentators. It's just like a silent, non-moving Per, like the parade's moving but like the angle doesn't move and i'm like yeah you don't get sucks. like this year like yeah. um josh gad and oh. the, other, the other guy i don't need to see any josh gad but the other guy i do like him from girls okay. yeah well i was just thinking um because they were walking in the parade and like talking to people mm-hmm. and stuff and i was like I'm sorry, he's only Olaf. Like, I can't hear anything else besides Olaf when I hear Josh Gad talk. <laughs> oh, is that Frozen? Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to um, to do this episode with a little bit of positivity. So this weekend, um, Sean and I were cleaning out the, a back hallway area of our house that kind of ends up being the, like, catch-all space. Mm-hmm. We're like, I don't know where to put this. Put it back there. That's fine. So we did some rearranging and stuff, and I came across this thing that I did in 2019, and that was I created this positivity jar. I'm showing Ooh. you like the audience can see it, but... It I'll says, describe it. It is like a milk carton. It's a glass milk jug. Yeah. Did yep. you get that delivered to you by horse? No, I... <laughs> I mean, it is Park Slope, but I did go to the farmer's market and get it. It's oh, like an, an eggnog thing from okay. Ronnie Brook. Um, yeah, and then I had these little tiny notepads that had little pieces of paper on them, like little cardboardy si- like style paper. Mm-hmm. And every day in 2019, I would write one good thing that happened that day and put it in this jar. So I do I- like that it is 2019 because I was like, I don't know if I would have something to write down every day. Since 2020, but no, it's 2019. Well, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So 2019 I I'd, was probably awesome. I thought I'd dig into the jar and maybe read a couple of them and see. Ooh, I hope there's something about me. Well, there's 365 of them, so there's probably one. But good luck with me finding it. Okay, this jar is so full. You can't <laughs> it's even so get full. Them out. I actually have a second one because Whoa. it didn't all fit in. <laughs> so I'm reading this, and I don't know. I think I put the dates on them. Okay. Mm. 1015 had cauliflower ragu for dinner and it was so delicious 
That's not jar worthy. <laughs> Cauliflower racket. Listen, thing. that probably tells you what that day was like. <laughs> no, but that food is so good. Oh, Sean is a good cook, so you know, there's that. I'm trying to get a different color because there's different colors in here, but I can't get them out of the jar. <laughs> I feel we should have prepped this. Yeah. Well, I I'll mean, edit how out. Are you, how are you even gonna get them out of there? Like, I thought I, I could just shake, shake it. Yeah. October 4th, day two of New York Comic Con, saw some great panels and enjoyed wandering around Artist Alley. Got some, oh, <laughs> it says got some new books. I thought it said got some new looks. I was like, what looks did <laughs> I get? <laughs> All right. I want to see. I'll go into the other jar because I can actually jar. get those yeah. with more efficiency. I want to know what the first thing you wrote was. I know, but that's out. like so far at the bottom. <laughs> I'll Break have it. to come back to it. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> 12:27 got everything unpacked from our trip right away. <laughs> These are not very exciting. They're this not a I, very uh, slow year. Give me I want like a, a a surprising one. Something juicy, huh? Yeah. I'm going to have to go through them. I'll I'll have to save the best. I'll I'll do one more for today and okay. and then after Get that I'll, I'll look through them. Oh, yeah. yellow suit. The yellow one is so far. There's a uh, pink. Like a yeah. pink one. We're going to go with the pink one. Okay. A lot of these apparently are food related. August 10th had steak with peppers and onions and corn on the cob. Delicious. <laughs> Sean must have been out of town for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to dig through and see what kind of like fun and juicy ones I can get. But <laughs> they're probably all going to be related to food because food brings me joy. Hi, Pete. Pete brings me joy. There's probably something in here about Pete. Did I watch Pete in 2019? Probably. Yeah, I think that's when we went on all of our trips. Like, okay. we went to, like, Paris and London and New Orleans. Like, we did a whole big block of vacationing in 2019. So, must so yeah, been. you must have watched him at some point. I pilled another one, and it was also about food. <laughs> So, <laughs> the moral of the story, what is positive about my days generally is related to food. <laughs> Speaking of, how was your Thanksgiving besides the parade? <clears throat> it was very quiet. It was just mm -hmm. me and Sean. Um, we had no one else and a lot of food. So nice. I've got turkey Love for days. Us. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird, though, right? Because like in the past, we've had like eight people, four people, mm -hmm. whatever. Um the only year we had no one else, obviously, was 2020, but it was so it was very strange this year yeah. uh, to, to have it be so quiet. But everybody had other things that came up. And so that's just how it rolls. It was just me, my mom, um, my husband and our dog, Pete, who wore an adorable bow tie and glared at people for food. It was actually kind of funny. He was getting aggressive. I was like buddy we made um i made everything which i was very proud of myself and but at the end of the day i was so tired yeah um, i made like a small roast chicken collard greens what else did i make um sweet potato casserole which i made for the second time this month like i made it for friendsgiving and i'm like really good at it i'm like okay yeah, this is it very was good tasty. and it's not hard so i was like this is a new staple um i had canned cranberry sauce because my mom only likes canned cranberry sauce my husband doesn't like it at all so now like I have all this extra cranberry sauce because I made some for Friendsgiving. Oh, I made more stuffing, too. Did Theo have to work? He did, but he was out at home by, like, 6.30, so it was actually perfect. So we oh, had, nice. like, a... 
I guess I, like a regular dinner, but like yeah. I, know, I was seeing people eating at like like during the parade. I was like on Instagram and I'm seeing people like cutting turkeys, and I was like, it's eleven. Yeah, the earliest we ever did Thanksgiving when I was growing up was noon, but usually it was like two or three. Yeah, that, that was my pretty typical. Too. Yeah, here we we're like, like no, nah, we're doing it at dinner time. Yeah, my grandma and stuff would make uh, lots of little appetizers, so there was stuff for you to like nibble on before, like around right. twelve. But like we didn't eat until like two. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's kind of how it was. Which is still early. Like, I don't know. Eating well, at six was... was nice. So what are we talking about today? Who are we talking about today? We're talking about American politician, lawyer, voting rights activist, and author Stacey Abrams. Exactly. We are going to discuss how she is viewed by the world of politics and pop culture. Um, You know, spoiler alert for misogyny and racism and always yeah basically welcome to big reputations yeah right <laughs> uh when we cover anybody who's not white it's going to be misogyny and racism uh but we are going to specifically look at stacy's rise to political fame and the passions that have kept her there lastly we're going to be discussing her plans for the future of america and herself Stacey Yvonne Abrams was born December 9th, 1973. She served in the Georgia House of Representatives from 2007 to 2017. She's also a lawyer, a voting rights activist, and an author. But what was her life like before that? So Abrams is the second child of six. Her parents were Reverend Caroline Abrams and Reverend Robert Abrams. Yes, both of her parents were ordained ministers in the Methodist Church. That feels like a lot of pressure. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, right? I don't like it. Um, well, I mean, things worked out for her. <laughs> but you're it's also fine. not religious, so. I would be the kid that they'd be like, oh, this one. Because I'd have so many questions. And when you gave me the answer, you have to have faith, I would be like, I call bullshit dad. I call bullshit mom. Anyway. Anyway. It's not for me to talk about how much I dislike religion. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Cece was born in Madison, Wisconsin, but raised in a Gulfport, Mississippi. Gulfport? Gulfport? Yeah, Gulfport. I think so. Isn't like a gulf and a port the same thing? Like, isn't it just like well, a I think the water. The gulf is the water. The port is the place where you like get to the land, right? Like you, it sounds like port, I live like in you sidewalk pull the street. boat up to the port, <laughs> like sidewalk street. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mississippi. I'll let you have this one. Anyway, so that she was raised in Gulfport, Mississippi, and the family later moved to Atlanta, Georgia, in 1989. Her parents went there so that they can get their divinity de- divinity degrees from Emory University. Side note, they have very nice transcripts at Emory University. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> you have a lot of transfer students? <laughs> that, yeah. Like, that's like a random um, a registrar thing that I do. Like, someone will be like, oh, I went to Stanford. I was like, oh, their transcripts suck. Just like, I know what the transcript looks like, and I will make a comment on it. And people will be like, oh, okay. But it's for me. <laughs> it's for me and if you all ever wanted to know what a transcript now i'm like, gonna just ask, ask you to like look at my transcripts and see if oh those are nice judge they're them. simple they're very any cuny transcripts are so simple and easy to read like they're nice yeah because we don't have to like fluff around with nonsense no you know? and it's like why like fordham has transcripts that are they have to have a certain size envelope like they're extra wide why that. why well i'll show you my university of new hampshire ones and see what you think of those I feel like I might have seen. I can't think of it. Yeah. And also, this was like 20 years ago. You know? mm, okay. <laughs> like, 
So and it was maybe they changed papyrus. them. <laughs> so um, after graduating from Emory University, her parents moved back to Mississippi, but Abrams and her two siblings, now young adults, they decided to remain in Georgia. Education was super important in Abrams's home. Abrams herself is quoted as saying that her parents said you could miss school if you had a doctor's note and a surgical scar. Damn. I mean, <laughs> that seems pretty intense, but mm-hmm. Abrams actually credits the public school system with helping her and her siblings. In addition to Abrams's law degree and political career, her siblings went on to become a professor of anthropology, a federal judge, an evolutionary biologist, and a social worker. So clearly it was beneficial to them in some way. And fun fact, Abrams and her family, her siblings remain super close. They have a book club that meets regularly via conference, via conference call. I love that. Siblings, Mm -hmm. are you listening? Let's do a Zoom-based book club. Let's do it. That could be fun. It could. Yeah. Or a disaster. It could also be that. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you guys would start talking about the book and then just segue onto something else completely. I mean, if you want to get a taste for what that would look like, the why do we read this episode on Pride and Prejudice definitely um, (laughs) gives some insight into that. Like, Jill swears a lot. Carrie only talks when prompted. (laughs) The rest (laughs) of us, the rest of us are kind of like, in between there and me trying to like keep things on track but not succeeding very well (laughs) so while in high school abrams was hired as a typist for a congressional campaign after tweaking a few speeches she was then hired as a speechwriter because because of it like that's a really nice upgrade i would be so nervous to be like oh i moved some words around in this thing i hope that's okay like i'd be thinking i was gonna gonna get fired but they're like oh well and as a high schooler yeah right like that's like I really do like that she like took the uh, initiative to do that. Yeah. But I mean, initiative was her whole thing. Like she was the valedictorian of her class. So she graduated in 1991 from Avondale High School. As a reward for this honor, Stacy was invited to the annual valedictorian's reception at the governor's mansion in Atlanta. Abrams traveled there by bus with both her parents. That's pretty cool, right? Like, mm-hmm. Well, it would have been if she hadn't been told by the guard on duty at the gate to leave. I mean, the mistake was eventually corrected and she was able to attend, but the experience stuck with Abrams. Like, she knew she belonged, but it's literally the one thing that she remembers most about that day. She said, as she said in an interview once, I don't remember meeting the governor of Georgia or my fellow valedictorians. All I remember that day was a man at a gate telling me I don't belong. It was from this moment that she knew she would never let anyone make her feel out of place again. Is this like her hero origin story? I mean, it's it's definitely definitely like played vowed. a role. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she. Vowed. I vow never to feel this low ever again, and no one else should feel this way. Mm-hmm. Done. That's law and order. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> after after high school, she attended Spelman College. Spelman is an HBCU, so that's a historically black colleges and university. But this one's for women. There, she earned her Bachelor of Arts in Interdisciplinary Studies. So this is a long way to say that you you combine a bunch of mm-hmm. different courses. So like think art therapy or film marketing. In Stacey's case, she focused on political science, economics, and sociology. She graduated magna cum laude in 1995. That's awesome. I love the interdisciplinary studies type things. Like, or um, I think at Baruch, we call them like ad hoc majors. 
And so you basically can like, yeah, you combine. Yeah. You have to make like an argument of like how it all Why fits it, together. Yeah. But I, I like that because it doesn't stick people in just like the traditional box of, yes. oh, English major. Oh, mm-hmm. math, you know, whatever. And it gives you a better fighting chance of getting a job afterwards. Because if you were just an English major, no offense, like it's kind of hard to get work as like an English major. But if you were like English and therapy or English and sociology, like it's it makes yeah. it you're more vast. And you notice um, the ads on the subway recently for the CUNY schools. I don't know if you've seen them is like they put mad money into some ad campaigns. I've seen for them, CUNY. but I don't know if I've. But there's one that says, like, create your own major or whatever. And it's basically this. If Stacey Abrams can do it, you can do it, too. (laughs) And it's valid. (laughs) No, it's absolutely valid. Since Abrams had already had political experience from working on that congressional campaign while in high school, she decided to continue on that path. While in college, she worked in the youth services department at the mayor's office and even later interned at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. As a freshman, she took part in a protest on the steps of the Georgia Capitol. Here she joined in burning the Georgia state flag. So, why, you ask? Anarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that would be more fun. But um, (laughs) I think maybe it was because the flag at that time uh, incorporated the Confederate battle flag. Boo. So side note, um, it wasn't even as if the flag had this had been on the flag since the days of the Civil War. It was added in 1956 as a part of an anti-Civil War rights movement. And there were students who were looking to have it removed. Like, you know, people who were born in the 1950s. Like, it just seems so weird that they would be like, hey, you know what we need? Racism on this flag because heritage I don't know. It just seems so odd. It made me think of um, the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes. And the One Nation Under God. Uh, mm-hmm. I just double checked. That was added in 1954. So. Ew. What was happening? You know what was happening? Uh, Wasn't the like the War? civil rights. Oh, but also like the civil rights movement was happening in the 1950s. No. Mm, I, I associate that more with the 1960s, but obviously mm, there anyway. were some of the beginnings of that where yeah, I think I, you're when right. When I think of it, I think of like sit-ins and stuff, like the peaceful parts of it, because I think of people in like sock hops sitting at like the counter and like trying to get a milkshake and being told they can't because they're black. That's why I always think of like the 50s as Got you. because of like sock hops. I was like, who doesn't want to sit at a counter and eat and eat a sandwich and have a milkshake? Like... White people, it's, if there are black people there, that just—it's like I don't understand. Like, the, I feel like capitalism is so strong that it would like overcome racism. It's like there's a store owner who wants to make money. There are black people who have money and want to use it at your store, but you're like, no, I don't want your money because you're black. Like that seems wild to me. Like even if you're like not even thinking of people as just human beings. Mm-hmm. Green I mean, is green. the same thing like, happens. Still with like, oh, I don't want to make a website for a gay couple's yeah, wedding. Gay couple. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Not the it's same. Just... Not that I'm comparing those no, like no, no, one no. for it's... one, but saying that like the mentality. As humans, we haven't yeah. changed. <laughs> no. It's good to know we're, we're always going to be trash. Maybe not. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, I mean, we're, we're trash, but we're like slightly less. I feel like we make a we little bit of less. progress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're trash in like those fancy clear bags now. 
<laughs> the stretchy kind. Yeah, right. Um, so back to the Georgia state flag, which was like super racist for a little bit. So people protested for change. Stacey was one of them. But the change didn't happen until over a decade later. And the flag had many, many makeovers. Just Google the history of the Georgia state flag and you'll be in for a bit of a wild ride. Yeah, it's it's my favorite is the one where they were like, here's like the Georgia state like emblem or whatever and then underneath mm-hmm. is all the flags we've had in the past so they were like if we can't have the confederate flag we're gonna have the confederate flag <laughs> it's just gonna be much smaller but it's still there so you know why don't they just put the peach put the peach on the flag yeah make it like the japanese flag but with a peach instead of <gasps> like a red oh sun. my god that's so good Georgia. We're reducing georgians to the peach <laughs> I love honestly it. just make it the real housewives of atlanta logo <laughs> all right that's moving what people on know you for. that's what people know you for these days that's what i know you for abrams went on to study public policy at the university of texas at austin in the lbj school of public affairs here she earned her master of public affairs degree graduating in 1998 from there she earned her juris doctorate from yale law school and according to what we could find it was like a year later like, I don't know how many transfer credits she had or if she just went in and took. The, I don't know how that works. But if I'm just like, wow, I didn't think I'd talk about work this much. If she transferred in with like 30 credits, she could have she could have done that and didn't take any breaks. Like if she didn't like if she went through like winter break and summer break. Yeah, she could have done that. That's how I I graduated because I transferred and I lost like a lot of credits. So like by the time I transferred, I went to school through winter through summer like i went through all the breaks to like get out a year earlier but not early i was still late okay i don't know exactly how like law school specifically works but i know like Mm. for me even when i finished my coursework then it became like time for the dissertation and that took the research and the i think their dissertation is the lsats no that's what they take to get into law school no but i mean like i don't think they have a dissertation period i think it's like you're done and then you and then you have to take the test the bar the bar yeah okay well the lsats is yeah what you take to get in the bar is you're right it's the bar okay all right we got there (laughs) i've watched legally blonde enough to know kind of (laughs) well basically um abrams is listed as graduating from yale law school in 1999 that's incredibly impressive maybe mm-hmm. it was like december like she finished maybe yeah maybe. could be one of those things like Probably. a year and a half but i was like it's 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 not public you can't just get someone's transcript but like i really want to see her transcript now. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting so after law school abrams went to work as a tax attorney for a law firm in atlanta her focus there was tax exempt organizations so like healthcare and public finance In 2002, at the age of 29, Abrams was appointed as the deputy city attorney for the city of Atlanta. And four years later, in 2006, she ran for the 84th district for the for the Georgia House of Representatives. In the Democratic Party primary election that year, she ran against former state legislator George Maddox and political operative Dexter Porter. Abrams won the primary election with 51 percent of the vote, avoiding a runoff election. Beginning in 2007, Abrams represented the House District 84. And in 2013, after reapportionment, basically that means like moving around the districts based on changes in the population, she then represented District 89. 
So while serving in the state Congress, she was a member of the Appropriations, Ethics, Judiciary, Non-Civil, Rules, and Ways and Means Committee. So now you're thinking, what the fuck did Kim just say? But basically, this group handles the tax writing and the money watching of other government offices. So think of like Social Security, uh, Medicare... As the minority leader, Abrams made sure taxes were coming and going correctly. She did this from 2011 until 2017 when she stepped down to run for governor. Imagine that, stepping down from your position to run for another one. We'll Mm -hmm. get back to that. But before we do get to that, let's talk about her time as a state representative and how she was perceived uh, during those years. As we mentioned, she began serving in Georgia's state Congress in 2007. Only three years later, the Democratic caucus elected her to be the minority leader of the House. Her first major action in this role was to cooperate with Republican Governor Nathan Deal on on reform of the HOPE scholarship program. So this scholarship aids Georgia students in attending colleges. It's funded by the Georgia State Lottery, which, as someone who lived in New Hampshire for many years, like funding education with lottery and liquor is like quite normal <laughs> i think we do that our, i think do we our do it here too yeah. yeah i don't think the liquor does but the yeah the lottery does gotcha so the legislation in in 2011 decreased the scholarship amount paid to georgia students and and funded a one percent low interest loan program for students Critics of this move said that Abrams played a role in hurting poor and minority students who had previously had more access to the scholarship. Basically, the scholarship was divided into two tiers, and the higher tier was only for students with a 3.7 GPA or higher and good test scores. The lower tier was for students with a 3.0 or higher and did not require scores, but it was reduced to covering only 90% of tuition and no longer covered books or other costs. After the first two years of this change, analysts found that the students from higher income neighborhoods went from being twice as likely to secure a full tuition scholarship to three times as likely than students from lower income neighborhoods. Yeah, so that does sound like I can understand being a critic of that, but Mm -hmm. we know that sometimes concessions have to be made, right? And according to Abrams' communications director, Priyanka Mantha, under Abrams' leadership, the scholarship retained an eligibility tier without testing requirements, which would have disproportionately disqualified low-income students and students of color. So... Basically, like, while it may eliminate some students from the higher tier scholarship, Mantha says that students who may have been eliminated from eligibility under the GOP proposal instead retain access to a version of the HOPE scholarship. So it was basically like they wanted to cut it even more. And she was able to argue that, like, hey, we got to at least keep something. So in 2011, Abrams argued that a Republican proposal to cut income taxes while increasing a tax on cable service would lead to a net increase in taxes paid by most people. Basically, she performed analysis showing that 82% of taxpayers would see tax increases instead of decreases and shared her findings with every House legislator. The bill failed. Time magazine claimed that Abrams, quote, can credibly boast of having single-handedly stopped the largest tax increase in Georgia history. Now, like, I'm a fan of what tax money can do, right? Mm -hmm. But when it targets lower income people more heavily than high income earners. Yeah, it's not fair. Not not a fan, right? Not so into that, right? And this change would have drastically affected low income Georgians way more than the upper class, uh, Mm -hmm. the wealthy people living in Georgia. So that's why, like, 
I, I don't have a problem with a tax increase. I just have a problem with a tax increase for the poor, and that's yeah. what she was dealing with. Yeah, definitely. It, I think that it depends on where it comes from, right? Like, I think people don't pay attention to that. And it's like, oh, the state's going to get more money. That's great. But if it's coming off the backs of people who already have the lease. Exactly. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Abrams worked with Governor Nathan Deal on criminal justice reforms that reduce prison costs. She also worked with state Republicans on Georgia's largest ever public transportation funding package. On August 25th, 2017, Abrams resigned from the General Assembly to focus on her race for governor. She ran for governor of Georgia in 2018. Her opponent in the Democratic primary was Stacey Evans, another member of the Georgia House. So this primary was referred to as the Battle of the Stacys by multiple news outlets. They're so original. Right? <laughs> so Abrams was endorsed by Bernie Sanders and Our Revolution, Bernie Sanders' progressive political action organization. On May 22, 2018, she won the Democratic nomination and became the first black woman to become a major party gubernatorial nominee in the United States. Should I say all of that again or do you want to leave it in because it's silly? Okay, so I want to pause for a second and repeat that, right? In mm. the year 2018, yeah. Stacey Abrams was the first black woman to become a major party gubernatorial candidate in the whole country. Yeah, that's kind of insane. 2018, like, I just... Oh, Your why? positivity jars from 2019, like... <laughs> That's wild. Like, well, that's when the that's the only year the good things happened, apparently. Yeah, but I just like this was in like the last five years. Like, that's yeah. crazy. That, yeah. So after winning the primary, she also secured a number of high-profile endorsements, including one from former President Barack Obama. A little less than a week before election day, Republican candidate Brian Kemp canceled the debate that had been scheduled seven weeks earlier. Why? To attend a Trump rally. He then blamed Abrams, saying that she was unwilling to reschedule. Abrams's campaign manager responded by saying, We refuse to callously take Georgians for granted and cancel on them. Just because Brian Kemp breaks his promises doesn't mean anyone else should. Oh, suck it, Kemp. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sorry, I'm not catering to you and you're like fucking... Yeah. Trump nonsense. I think that's so funny. It's like, hey, the state that I'm in... Um, I gotta go do this thing that's so much cooler. Sorry. I'll I'll see you later. Like that's really Yeah. That happened a lot with um AOC when she was running. The guy she was running against, Joe something, would just like not show up. Like he sent well, a proxy he, like, all the lived time. In Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> he did live in a whole different state. But he was just like, Oh, this is not none of this is worth my time. So it's like the people your constituents aren't worth your time. Your opponent isn't worth your time. Like how are you allowed to, like, why are you even running? Like, what are you here for? And how do you win? By cheating, but, um, yeah, I'll we'll probably, I'll probably mention that later. <laughs> Kemp, by the way, was, uh, Georgia's secretary of state at the time. Um, he announced that he was investigating the Georgia Democratic Party for unspecified possible cyber crimes, in quotes, um, that were targeted at his office. The Democratic Party stated that his claims are 100% false and described this action as a political stunt, which it clearly was. In 2020, two years after the election took place, the Attorney General's office concluded that there was no evidence of any computer crimes. And those alleged cyber crimes that Kemp had accused the Democrats of? Yeah, it turns out it was a planned security test that one of his own staff members had signed off on. I... Communication much? Communicate right. 
Good God. Okay. Kemp doesn't read emails. So uh, we're going to take a slight detour, but this is relevant. Um, so as Georgia's Secretary of State, Kemp was in charge of elections and voter registration during the election. So that alone is like pretty suspicious, but the numbers reaffirm this. Between 2012 and 2018, Kemp's office canceled over 1.4 million voter registrations, with nearly half of them taking place in 2017. There was even one day in particular that had over 500,000 people's registrations canceled. Most of this took place after he declared his candidacy for governor, so... Yeah, that's a bit of a red flag. A bit? Do you remember yeah, that happened in Brooklyn? No. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. They had. They were like, go check your voter registration because like something got deleted or something. Yeah, like and that. I know someone who was one of those people, and she lived in Brooklyn her entire life. Mm. Sus. Yeah. Anyway, by October 2018, with less than a month to go before the election, more than 53,000 voter registration applications had been put on hold by his office. More than 75% of those belonged to minorities. So that's a bigger red flag. That's like a, a red blanket at this point, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. sus, very sus. So not surprising then that Kemp was accused of voter suppression by professors, political scientists, and even an election law expert in 2018. He was called an enemy of democracy and an expert in voter suppression. His actions were considered the worst cases of voter suppression that year. Kemp was referred to as, quote, perhaps the most incompetent state chief elections officer. Um, and election law expert Richard L. Hassan stated that it was hard to tell which of Kemp's actions were due to incompetence and which were attempted suppression. And like, I feel like Hassan has given him too much credit because yeah. I don't like think there was like any criminal. Mm -hmm. But That's so I, I, I just think that like the next thing we're going to say is how like he won. <laughs> Yeah, like it's like everyone's like, "Hey, you're a criminal in the corner twirling your mustache about this, and you still won." Like sometimes politics is so ass backwards; it like doesn't make sense. Like this guy is so clearly the villain of this story, and he won. Like, yeah, twice. Ugh. Yes. So when Na when Abrams narrowly lost the election to Kemp, it made sense that she refused to concede right away. Right. Count those votes because this guy is up to something. So she accused Kemp of, of engaging in voter suppression as the secretary of state. When she announced that she was ending her campaign 10 days after the election, she made it clear that this was not a concession because, as she said, concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true or proper. And clearly Kemp's win was not right, true, or proper. Right? But at the same time, she acknowledged that she would not be able to close the gap in a forced runoff. So, yeah. um, And a lot of that had to do with all those people who were dropped yeah. from being able to vote. It was a result of this loss that Abrams created the Fair Fight Action, a voting rights nonprofit organization that sued the Secretary of State and the State Elections Board in federal court for voter suppression. To this day, news outlets and political science experts have been unable to determine whether voter suppression affected the results of this election, but it's hard to imagine that it didn't in some way. Because yeah. It, how like, many, what did I say before? Like, one million people like lost their right to vote? Yeah. That, that, how would that not 
how would that not affect voter suppression? Because like, how would that not affect the outcome? He might just be incompetent. He's a white man. Well, it could see? just be incompetent. So then you shouldn't have, that's the thing. So then you shouldn't have your job. You shouldn't Correct. be promoted to another office. If you were too incompetent to run the office that you were currently in, why would we promote you? We should demote you and let you figure your shit out and try again next year. Why are we <laughs> rewarding incompetence? Like, I don't understand. Like, that's, if you're like, oh, he was just too dumb and he messed up. Don't, don't promote him agreed well since losing the election abrams has stated that the election was not fairly conducted and she refuses to call kemp a legitimate governor she said i have no empirical evidence that i would have achieved a higher number of votes however i have i have sufficient and i think legally sufficient doubt about the process to say that it was not a fair election now, Glenn Kessler, who heads the fact checker feature at the Washington Post, has said Abrams played up claims the election was stolen until such tactic became untenable for anyone who claims to be an advocate for American democratic norms and values. And while there is evidence that Abrams had changed some of her language around the outcome of this election, she states that her claims of the election being stolen were in reference to it being stolen from the voters of Georgia. She later elaborated with MSNBC, I used the word stolen. I'm not saying I absolutely know that I would have won, but we know that thousands of Georgians had had their voices stolen because they were not able to cast their ballots and they cannot be guaranteed that their votes will be counted in 2020 if we don't do this right. All right, well, so let's go back to Fair Fight's lawsuit for a bit. Mm -hmm. The lawsuit was initiated in December 2018, and it covered a range of allegations from unreasonably long lines and wait times to the impact of voter ID rules on BIPOC voters, and from inadequate training of poll workers to the integrity of the voting machines. Six months after the lawsuit, Georgia's legislator passed a law which addressed some of these claims, including the implementation of new voting machines with more advanced technology. In December 2020, Fair Fight dropped its claims about voting machines, and not so coincidentally, this is when Trump made his baseless claims about voting machine problems in Georgia. In April 2021, a judge allowed some claims to proceed while rejecting others, but by October 2022, a federal judge ruled against Fair Fight on any of the remaining claims, stating that Georgia's voting regulations did not violate the Constitution for the Voting Rights Act. And I say, houseway, how? All those people who were allowed to vote one day just weren't the next. And a bunch of machines just disappeared. Like, I don't know if you were, like, following it, like, while it was happening. Like, mm -hmm. people showed up to their polling place and they were like, oh, we had 20, but we got they got moved. So we have one now. And, like, once you were in line, they had really, really weird rules. And, like, I remember all of this happening and being like, it's so easy to vote. Like, what could the problem possibly be? But they, like, didn't have early voting in a lot of these places, like how we have early voting. And it was a rule that like, once you were in line, you couldn't leave. You couldn't bring chairs. You couldn't bring anything that you had to carry. So there are people waiting in the hot ass Georgia sun to vote. And like a lot of them were elderly and it was like, hey, I need to sit. And it's like, well, you can't have chairs here. You have to just stand. So like there are lots of people who are like, I just like cannot physically vote. Yeah. Well, and I will say that even in New York, we did not have early voting until 2020. So at yeah. this time, we were still in a similar well, situation, COVID, right? Yeah, that's the well, only did... reason they did it. I'm pretty sure. Maybe you could I'm do it by to... mail, but. No, I feel like I've done early voting before, but maybe I haven't. Like for smaller elections? Maybe not. I, maybe I'm just. Well, because smaller I just elections. Vote so often <laughs> that I remember being in the other polling place. 
like the the early voting place is a little bit further from my house than the the regular polling place oh i feel like i go there all the time so in 2020 our early polling place was a different location than our current early voting place Mm -hmm. so that's why i was pretty sure it was the first year that it happened i think the i think maybe that was when you could vote by mail for the first time because i remember my mom voting by mail because she was like i don't want to be outside with people and i was like that's fair yeah i mean i'll have to double check but i'm pretty sure i I was i i thought it was 2020 was the first yeah yeah we don't have time to find that now we gotta talk about stacey abrams yes anyway so over the course of the lawsuit fair fight raised 61 million dollars and paid millions to abrams's friend and campaign chair allegra lawrence hardy This leads us to the last bit of our outsider perception that we'll be discussing in this section. In October of 2022, in a special report written by Brittany Gibson for Politico, we learned that Fair Fight spent over $25 million on legal fees over two years, with $9.4 million going towards a self-described boutique law firm. Allegra Lawrence Hardy, Abrams' campaign manager when she was running for governor and a close friend, is one of the two named partners in that law firm, Lawrence and Bundy. Fair Fight Action argues that the lawsuit that Lawrence Hardy was a part of was crucial in drawing attention to voting inequalities. But some outside this group questioned how much was spent on a single legal action and why so much went into paying the firm where Abrams' friend worked, claiming that it should be considered a conflict of interest. So Craig Holman, a campaign finance and ethics expert who works for Public Citizens, Public Citizens is a nonprofit consumer advocacy group. Holman agreed, saying it is a very clear conflict of interest because it provides an opportunity where the friend gets particularly enriched from this litigation. Public Citizen distanced themselves from Holman's statement, saying that their position was that the contractual arrangement described in the story is normal and non-objectionable. It raises no legal or ethical concerns. All of this is quite interesting, as we think many listeners and ourselves really um, are really only focused on the positive things that she was doing at this time. But it goes to show uh, that you're never going to make everyone happy and they will dig Mm -hmm. and dig until they find something on you. I feel like because of what she was trying to do, there were like eyes on her and they were like harsher eyes because I feel like this happens all the time. Like there are people in positions of power and they use like their friend's construction company to build something or they stay in a certain hotel because they have like financial holdings in it. Mm -mm, The fucking president, Um, former president. I'm not saying those things are okay, but they seem to be like overlooked a lot or chopped up to like just the price of doing business when it comes to certain people and like a crime when it comes to other people like i just feel like that's hella suspicious and if we're gonna like look at everyone like under the glow that they were looking at Cece, you gotta look at everybody like that right like you can't just be like oh why'd she pay her best friend to do all this and it's like maybe she needed somebody that she trusted to be on this and other people in georgia other lawyers maybe weren't as willing to help excellent to go against like the current governor basically As we mentioned before, Abrams ran for governor of Georgia twice, in 2018 and 2022. In the second election in particular, she emphasized her support for gun control and legal access to abortion. While she lost both times, she continues fighting for voter rights in her state. 
As a member of the Democratic Party, Abrams founded the Fair Fight Action in 2018. As we said earlier, this organization was created to address issues around voter suppression. As a direct result of this, she had been credited with boosting voter turnout in Georgia multiple times, once during the 2020 presidential election when Joe Biden narrowly won the state over Donald Trump. And again in Georgia's 2020 and 2021 regular and special U.S. Senate elections, which gave Democrats control of the state Senate or of the Senate. Yeah, the U.S. Senate. Yeah. So what are Abrams' political positions? Abrams supports abortion rights, advocates for expanded gun control, and opposes proposals for stricter voter ID laws because some of these ID laws specifically disenfranchise minorities and the poor. She does not oppose voter ID laws in principle and supports voters having to verify their identities. But, you know, like I would would say, make sure people have free IDs and then it's not a voting tax, right? Because you're not supposed to have a voting tax and Mm -hmm. IDs that have to be paid for. Yeah. So I remember if you remember this narrative was like twisted by Republicans to be like really hurtful. So the idea became that Abrams thought that like black and poor Americans were too poor and too dumb to figure out how to get the IDs that they needed. And like this was a hindrance to them and that black people should stand up and say that Stacey Abrams was wrong and they were able to get their own IDs. Like they didn't need someone like her telling telling them how to live their lives. And I just thought that that was so incredibly wild because it's like poor people are poor. And if they can spend their money on something else rather than an ID that they don't need in any other circumstance, they're going to do that. So no, there's lots of people who don't have IDs. Because like if you don't drive a car, like think especially living in New York City, I didn't need an ID for such a long time. I didn't drive a car. There was no reason for me to have an ID and like to have to pay to get my ID was annoying. I carried my passport around for a long time. To the like I would go to bars and they were like, what are you going on a flight? And I was like, no, this passport costs like $90 and I'm not renewing my ID. This does the same thing. So I just carried my passport around for a long time until I got like my driver's license. And then like you have to pay for that. But like if you don't have to spend money on something, why would you spend money on it? As anyone who makes any kind of level of money. But if you are on a much tighter income why would you spend like the 20 or 30? It might be, I think it might be 50 for just your, in New York City, for just a regular ID. I, I don't know. I have a driver's license from New York. So I'm trying to think what I had b- before. I know I had to pay for it at some point, and I feel like it was like 50 bucks. But even the I'll passport, fact check that and get even back. the passport is a cost that is sometimes oh, prohibitive for people, right? Yeah, but it was a thing that I got and it lasts for like 10 years so i was like okay i'm not buying another id i'm just going to use this one absolutely because like i'm not spending any more money like let me get like the bang for my buck with this passport but yeah like that's the thing like that would have been really costly if i didn't have the money like so it's like i understand why people would choose not to have an id if it was like i can have dinner tonight or like an id for nothing like no one's going to check this you know like i don't know i just, i don't like the narrative that people took that she was trying to insult like black and brown and poor people it just it just like a a weird twist but that's what republicans do so yep in other news uh cc also supported uh criminal justice reform in this in the form of no cash bail for poor defendants abolishing the death penalty and decriminalizing possessions of small amounts of marijuana there are still 19 states where marijuana has not been decriminalized and four where it's still fully illegal idaho wyoming kansas and south carolina so stacy also supports community policing to keep communities safe as part of criminal justice reform 
And Abrams would like to increase spending on public education. She opposes private school vouchers, same, uh, and instead advocates for improving the public education system. Novel concept. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm very passionate about this one. She supports smaller class sizes, more school counselors, protected pensions, and better pay for teachers, and expanded early childhood education. I like all those things, too. Yeah. I don't know why it's so hard to implement. Uh, because I'm rich and I don't have kids that need an education, so you shouldn't be able to have my money to pay for that. I So I <laughs> used to think that. Until, like, I saw kids, like, running in the street in the middle of the day. And I literally had, like, such an old person thought. I was like, these kids are going to pickpocket somebody. We need to make sure they're in schools learning things. Like, <laughs> it keeps, like, little uh, Johnny from running the streets and doing crimes. If he's in class learning about algebra, that's better for everybody, is it not? Like, I don't want vagrants running around. <laughs> kicking old people in their knees like these people need to be in school learning things and like that's good for all of society but that's the thing right that's what it comes down to is yeah. i want to benefit the whole of society not just myself as an individual and that's the difference <laughs> yeah so you have to get everybody to think about everybody and not just themselves that's the problem we need to solve that mm -hmm. right there mm -hmm. okay that's easy right yeah <laughs> totally. While Abrams was running for governor, she said that her top priority was Medicaid expansion. She cited research showing that Medicaid expansion improved healthcare access for low-income residents and made hospitals in rural locations financially viable. This was paired with plans to address Georgia's high maternal mortality rate. When asked if she was satisfied with the changes she helped bring to Georgia's electoral system, Abrams replied, I think we've made improvements. Unfortunately, even this year, we saw the state continue to retrench on voter suppression and make it more difficult for people to participate. She went on to say, my worry is that we think that because there's no massive disaster, that there means there is no fault. Democracy is fragile, and that is why I will continue to be engaged in defending it. Even if it's watching a community lose their access to voting because they shut down a precinct in a community without public transit. When no one can reach the voting place, does it really exist? Excellent question. Yeah. Abrams has served on the Board of Directors for Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, the Center for American Progress, Atlanta Metropolitan State College Foundation, Gateway Center for the Homeless, and the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. She's also served on the advisory boards for Literacy Action, Health Students Taking Action Together, and Let America Vote. She's currently the senior counsel to Rewiring America. This is a nonprofit organization that seeks to switch all households to using electricity. Right, so this is basically like, instead of using fossil fuels like natural gas mm. and oil, turning more to uh, a greener energy source like electricity. Not like candles and wood, because that's what Not I that green. I was like, um, are there just people running with like candles around their house? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Sometimes um, I wish. That's a fire hazard. I don't wish that. <laughs> the, way, the way people behave and forget about things, absolutely not. The whole building would be gone in a second. Yeah, probably. Her role focused on her role there focuses on helping people across the country shift away from relying on fossil fuels and instead looking towards electricity to power things. In an interview on the topic, she stated, 
we are at an inflection point where we have to cho- we can choose to electrify she said in an interview we don't have to do it everywhere all at once if you want to see what the future looks like start building it here and now this work is really important to abrams because low-income communities and communities of color the same people disenfranchised by the voting system in this country, Mm -hmm. um, have long dealt with inefficient and pollution-causing appliances, which have had an impact both on public health and on people's wallets. Abrams is fighting to incentivize these changes through tax credits and rebates, which will help households swap out fossil fuel-powered appliances and more. Um, And side note, this work is not like out of nowhere for Abrams. She actually did her college senior thesis on environmental justice and even interned with the EPA. Mm -hmm. Abrams is a life is a life member of the council of foreign relations and spoke at their conference on diversity in international affairs back in 2019. The same year, she also published an essay in foreign affairs magazine about how identity politics actually strengthens the liberal democracy. There is really a magazine for everything. Foreign Affairs <laughs> magazine. Um, Abrams is also featured in a documentary about voter suppression in the United States called All In, The Fight for Democracy, which came out in 2020. In the documentary, she specifically addresses her own family's voting struggles in Mississippi and the voter suppression she saw during her 2018 run for governor. And fun fact, uh, this is not Abrams's only IMDb credit. She voiced herself in the 2020 animated episode of Blackish Election Special Part 2. I love that. Like, a lot of the sitcoms were doing that in 2020. They were like, let's do oh, an animated yeah. episode because mm-hmm. we can't be in we person. Can't be here today. Yeah. Um, and she also appeared as an actor in the season four finale of Star Trek Discovery Coming Home in 2022. In that, she played the president of United Earth. And in case you didn't know, she is a huge Trekkie. So Stacey Abrams is openly a fangirl for various sci-fi and fantasy franchises. Star Trek is one of them, but she also is a lover of TV shows like Doctor Who, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Supernatural. Basically, she could be our best friend. (laughs) Basically, yeah, yeah. Um, So in terms of Angel or Spike, this is what Abrams had to say. To be fair, Angel was the right boyfriend for for Buffy for the time of her coming to power. Spike was the right man to be with her as she became the power. I will respectfully disagree with Stacey here. <laughs> um, but, you know, we all have opinions. I, I think, think, I think David right. Boreanaz also disagreed with, like, he reacted yes, to her It was, tweet. like, on Twitter. Yeah, I do remember that. It was a whole big thing. Um, and in terms of Supernatural, Abrams persisted participated in a Zoom call with the actors from the show to get help fundraising for a fair fight back in 2020. And the event brought in over $225,000. She also did something like a Zoom with Sarah Michelle Gellar, and they talked about Buffy for a little bit, and I think it was something for this, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I love the idea. Like, you know, people are saying, like, oh, you know, stay in your lane, blah, blah, blah. Like, these lanes all cross. Everybody's lanes cross. <laughs> it like says a lot about, and it says a lot about you as a person, like the fandoms that you're into, the things that you, you do when, not the things that you do when no one's watching, but like how you relax. Like if I know that like, hey, this person is also into the same show that I'm into, I can kind of get their mentality. And I feel like it's an easier way to like to get to know someone. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's maybe like that old, like, if I could have a beer with them thing that they used to do with politicians. Yeah. And I feel like the people who don't like it are the fucking weirdos. Like what's his name in Florida? DeSantis. He's strange. And I feel like the more people start talking to him, like, 
about things that weren't politics, he comes off as such a weirdo. And it's like, oh, not only are you bad for like government, you're also like a weirdo with no personality. That's why they don't like when people actually do have personalities and can relate to like their constituents. Like it's, it's weird. Mm. You ever seen him t- just talk? No, to no, I try not to. It's no, but you know what? You should, because I was just like, this guy's a super villain who hates anything diverse. And then I heard him talk just like in a regular conversation. And I was like, I don't know why I thought you were smart enough to be a supervillain. He's a very strange man. And I don't understand how he got as far as he got. And I think his like private persona has fucked it up for him. It could be your undoing if you're like into the weird thing. I suppose. But in the case of like the supernatural thing, like that $225,000 was like raised like during the call, like during the Zoom call. It's like if you can get a big enough fandom behind you mm-hmm. then and you're trying to do things for good like yeah it can work also out. you're getting people who like maybe have not thought about voting maybe don't care about voting they care about supernatural so they're going to show up when supernatural is there and now it's like oh this lady is speaking things that i also agree with i also feel that way about medicare i also feel that way about criminal reform maybe i am into politics and now you have like someone who cares more about their community and this was like their gateway into it. like Exactly. And I think that's super interesting. So back to Stacey and not what I think is interesting, what she thinks is interesting. So many fans of Buffy and Supernatural um, and more of these shows have asked if she wrote any fan fiction for these fandoms. And while we don't have a concrete answer to that, we know that she is the author of at least 12 books. Yeah. Abrams has written on topics such as tax law, but she also writes genre fiction. Some of these were published under her own name and others under the pen name Selena Montgomery. Her most recent title, which was published in May of this year, is Rogue Justice. It's the second in a series of legal thrillers about a feisty Supreme Court clerk named Avery Keene. It also involves an impeached president, a suspicious FBI agent, and a shadowy character who seemingly knows how to manipulate the U.S. government. I want to read that. I mean, it's not my genre, but like... It, it sounds I like it's got a lot going it. for it. <laughs> I wonder if she ever watched Scandal. Did you? I, you didn't watch Scandal, did you? Um, I think I've seen like an episode, but I'd never like mm. watched it, watched it. It is like, it's exactly, it's like this. It's very much this book. It sounds like it. So I'm like, hmm, I go see if they have that at the library. That sounds very interesting. So reading and writing have always been super important to Abrams. Her first attempt at writing a novel was when she was 12 years old, and it had a very 12-year-old title. It was called The Diary of Angst. I love it. I'm here for it. I love it it so much. (laughs) Yeah. So later during law school, she wrote two works that were published. One was her first romantic suspense novel, and the other was an essay on the operational dissonance of unrelated business income tax exemption. So... She's got range, you know. <laughs> Seriously. Romance, tax exemption. She can do it all. <laughs> oh, my God. What if she combined the two and it was like a romance about like a rogue tax agent? <laughs> okay. If she does that, I, I'll, I'll read it just, just for the <laughs> sake of it. When asked if she's worried that writing novels would make people take her less seriously, she said, politics is about meeting people where they are and setting a vision for where you can go. I love storytelling, and I think that there's very little in our society that levels the playing field more than a good novel does. It's just a different part of how we have conversations and how we investigate our world. I just think that it's so ridiculous for somebody to be like, do you think that writing books makes you less serious? Well, it's because she writes like 
genre fiction and genres never even respected in general right no you're not wrong you're not wrong but yeah it's like okay let me let me be able to do more than one thing i just think like the the expression and the time spent sitting down to write a novel no matter what the novel is makes me think that you are a very serious person because those books books take a long time to write like you have to get like a whole cognitive story that makes sense that is interesting so like no matter what your book is about like i feel like you've got to be a serious enough person to actually sit down and put dedicate that time yeah right so it's like i I, the idea that people would be like ugh, she writes books what a frivolous bitch like that just seems so silly to me (laughs) agreed Abrams continues to serve as the face of voting advocacy around the country. She started and inspired many organizations that work together to register and turn out voters, particularly young voters and voters of color. For her work, Abrams has received numerous awards, including the John F. Kennedy New Frontier Award and the Friend of Labor Award from the Georgia AFL-CIO, along with others in recognition for her work as a public servant. We mentioned that Abrams is an author, so that's definitely part of her legacy. She's written both fiction and nonfiction books, and her nonfiction titles, Our Time Is Now, Power, Purpose, and the Fight for a Fair America, and Minority Leader, How to Lead from the Outside and Make Real Change, were both New York Times bestsellers. She also wrote a children's book, Stacy's Extraordinary Words, which was released in December 2021. Abrams has claimed to have sold more than 100,000 copies of her novels and her legal thriller While Justice Sleeps, which came out in 2021, is is in development to potentially become a television series. I'd watch that. In addition to articles on taxation, she has also published articles on public policy and nonprofit organizations. Though Abrams may have lost both of her races for governor of Georgia, she was invited by Senate Minority Leader and Kim's biggest crush uh chuck schumer <laughs> <laughs> chucky boy i don't know if it, it's not it's not like a like a platonic crush, right crush. Word. like yeah a, yeah platonic crush <laughs> in 2019 to deliver the response to the state of the union address she was the first african-american woman to give the rebuttal to an address as well as the first and only non-office holding person to do so since the state of the union responses began in 1966 that's like really impressive right like they were like we want you here yeah but technically you can't be here but like by proxy we're gonna allow you because we think you have something to say well there's no rule that says it has to be someone yeah but i just think like you know it's like and that's probably not done no it definitely wasn't right it's a huge honor yeah she was also recruited by Schumer and the Democratic National Con- Committee in 2019 to challenge the incumbent senator David Perdue like the chicken maybe Maybe. Probably. Big chicken money behind his campaign. <laughs> big, so chicken. big chicken. Big chicken. Big pharma, big chicken. <laughs> big chicken. Listen. You're not wrong. Organization. Yeah, big chicken. I mean, I'm sure they could pay for that whole campaign. <clears throat> so they wanted her, wanted her to run against him for the Georgia seat in the U.S. Senate in 2020. She declined, citing that she needed time to focus on ending voter suppression in her state and across the country. I do love that. She's like, I'd run against your chicken guy, but like, I have to make sure that everyone can vote all over. And mm-hmm. it's like, fair, do your work. 
So three and a half months later, on August 17, 2019, Abrams announced that she was founding Fair Fight, which we mentioned before, um, and it's where she serves as she served as chair in 2020. I, now I want to find like the positivity jar for August 17, 2019. <laughs> I gave up having Purdue chicken. That's what you wrote. What if I ate chicken that day because Sean wasn't around? Oh my God. <laughs> Big uh, chicken, don't do it. You, you make it sound like I forbid you to eat meat. No, I... Is he mad that you're eating meat when he's not around? No, he's mad that I'm making it sound like he forbids me to eat meat when he's around. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't think about that dynamic in your relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Sean just stares at you while you're eating burgers like, how dare you? Right, like if anybody would actually think that Sean <laughs> would stop me from doing anything and like... <laughs> I am picturing him like smacking a sandwich out of your hand. Like, woman, what did I tell you about the meat in this house? Uh, no, I can't is... even picture it all the way because it's shocked. Exactly. Exactly. He would never. Honestly, the thing is for me, like I only just cook meat when he's not around because I'm not about to cook if he's cooking. Like, why True. cook two things? So anyway. Except for... If you want steak. It's not a win for the cow. <laughs> now, you come to our house and eat steak. That's true. We gave you so much beef the last time you were here. It was so good. It so tasty. Really good. Anyway, um, well, Biden did not select Abrams in the end. She actively promoted herself for consideration as his running mate during the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries. She was, however, chosen as one of the 17 speakers to jointly deliver the keynote address at the Democratic National Convention that year. After Biden won, both the New York Times and the Wa and the Washington Post credited Abrams with the boost in Democratic votes in Georgia and approximately 800,000 new voter registrations in that state. That's so many people. Yeah, but it, if you think about it, well, I guess if the... Well, it's not new, but like... Well, is it new, new? Well, because that's what I was going to ask, right? Yeah, because uh, I think it is. Like, did we fix the 15, the 1.4 million people? If we fix that and got 800,000 new, then that's yeah, definitely then a that's win. Yeah, that's super impressive. Yeah. Throughout her career, Abrams has received numerous awards and honors. The John F. Kennedy New Frontier Award that we mentioned in 2012, uh, which honors an elected official under 40 whose work demonstrates the impact of elective public service as a means of addressing public challenges. In 2014, she was chosen as the public official of the year by Governing Magazine for outstanding <laughs> accomplishments in the city and state government. I'm just going Again, back to there that. There is a mag <laughs> Governing Magazine. Well, who's that? Is that just for governors? Like, can I get a subscription to Governing Magazine? Uh, I mean, maybe. If you want, <laughs> maybe. I, got, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. That feels weird. I don't, I don't, would I be able to understand everything that's happening? I feel like that's got to be like a, a private magazine that's got too much good information. <laughs> So Abrams was listed among the 100 most influential Georgians by Georgia Trend for six years in a row now, from 2012 to 2017. In 2014, Abrams was named the 11th most influential African-American between the ages of 25 and 45 by The Root. Five years later, in 2019, she was first on that list. I was about to say, who was first in 2014? I, I'm very interested in this list now. I'll yeah, find, you'll, have to, you'll have to look. Other awards and honors include Legislator of the Year, Outstanding Public Servant, Democratic Legislator of the Year, and Environmental Leader of the Year. 
She's been named as one of the 30 leaders of the future, has made it on to 40 under 40 lists, and was named a Georgia Rising Star. In 2019, Abrams received the Distinguished Public Service Award from the University of Texas LBJ School of Public Affairs, where she got her master's degree. This is the highest alumni honor and in Abrams's case reflected her leadership on behalf of her constituents and citizens of the United States. But like what's bigger than that? Is it being included on the Times 100 annual list of most influential people? Was it being nominated for a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Character voiceover performance? I mean, those are pretty big, but our guess is the biggest honor was probably being nominated in 2021 for a Nobel Peace Prize for her nonviolent campaign to get the vote out. I, that's that that would, pretty big. That's, that's pretty awesome. Ginormous. And here's a random fact. In 2019, Abrams received a single vote from Kathleen Rice for Speaker of the House. She wasn't even in the House. (laughs) But apparently, that's something that you can do. You can vote for people outside the elected body. Basically, the Constitution doesn't mandate that they have to be. But so far, everyone has been. Yeah, yeah. They should vote for her again. Aren't we still having issues with that? Well, that's... Did we elect somebody finally? Yeah, they did. Uh, But But they don't like him, right? No. But that was one of the the questions that came up, right? Was like, can we just get someone else who's not yeah. in the house? Yeah. While much of Abrams's work has centered around the public sphere, back in 2010, while serving as a member of the Georgia General Assembly, Abrams co-founded Nourish, Inc. This was originally conceived as a beverage company with a focus on infants and toddlers. Uh, she called it like Dasani for babies. <laughs> Um, the company faced issues with invoicing and while it did not last it made way for abrams and co-founder lara o'connor to start now corp which provided invoicing solutions for small businesses how random it's very random (laughs) i love it um additionally abrams serves as the ceo of sageworks a legal consulting firm representing clients like the wnba team the atlanta dream Abrams recently joined the faculty at Howard University. Here she will serve as the endowed chair for race and black politics. As part of this role, she will lead research on political issues impacting black Americans and will work with other faculty and students on addressing some of these issues. So let's talk about our final takeaways. My final takeaway is that Stacey Abrams is crazy hardworking and so resilient. I feel like if I would have lost the election, like, you'd never see me again. Like, what is that song? You'll never see me again. You look so confused. (laughs) (laughs) Someone knows that song. I definitely don't know that song, but... It's like a freestyle song. Surprising but anyway, you would no never, one. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't see me again. I would be so heartbroken. I'd like go into a cave and just be sad that I lost. But Abrams was like, no, the system is broken. And at some point, it, be- it didn't become about like getting herself elected. It was making sure that the voices of the voters could be heard. Like her work is going to reach out so much further beyond herself. And that's noble. And it's really amazing. And it's, it's what politics should really be about. Like she's the heart of politics. She's great. Yeah. I think that's a great a great label for her, honestly. <laughs> she's great. <laughs> no, but like the heart of politics, right? Yeah. That's what it's about. 
I mean, honestly, voting has to be one of the most important things we do in this country. Um, and I know that so often it doesn't feel that way because of like mm -hmm. the electoral college system, but also <laughs> seriously, sorry, <laughs> no, don't be, uh, but also, and more importantly, because of voter suppression, right? But that's what mm -hmm. they want. They, <laughs> those in power, they want us to think that it doesn't matter so that they can remain in power. And what I really appreciate about Abrams is how much work she puts into making sure that everyone has access to vote and that she didn't give up when she lost, right? Like you said, mm -hmm. I go hide away, but like that wasn't her style. But also I want to take a moment to acknowledge that it, it's up to us to continue the fight. Like we shouldn't put this all mm -hmm. on her. Yes. You know, Abrams got us started, but let's make sure that we're the ones who keep it going. Mm-hmm. Got some resources and references? I do. So the National Women's History Museum has an entry on Stacey Abrams. You can just Google National Women's History Museum and find all of that information out. Um, Stacey Abrams on writing suspense novels and her future in politics. It's an interview with Belinda Luscombe. Then we have Power Move. Stacey Abrams' next act is The Electrification of the U.S., written by Brian Kahn. And Lead from the Outside, How to Build Your Future and Make Real Change, which was by Abrams herself. All in the fight for democracy. And that is the documentary we spoke about. And that's on Amazon Prime. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have a suggestion for women we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at Big Pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, and your future voters. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. And check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash BigReputationsPod, or just check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you will get a shout-out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini-episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Hilda Solis. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. Let's wrap this up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? So this one is from Stacey Abrams herself. It says, We change the trajectory of the nation because our combined power shows that progress is not only possible, it's inevitable. And as always, believe women. And her mother works on the assembly line for Mattel. Do you think her mother brought home, like, discarded doll parts? I hope not parts. <laughs> but like you can like build a doll. Like this arm doesn't work right, but like it'll fit on this piece. Like uh, Frankenstein type Barbies. Honestly, I was like a weird kid who would have been into that. Okay, okay. So I, I would have been like, mom, can you bring me all the discarded Barbie heads? You were like that kid from Toy Story. No. How dare you? <laughs> but like in a cool way, like not a murderous oh, okay. way. Okay, that okay. guy. But see, yeah, he was like... Gonna become a serial killer. Sid. He became a trash man.